Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 9, and this can be found on page 1039 of the Church Bibles. And we're beginning at verse 28. Luke chapter 9. Verse 28, the transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, "'Teacher, I beg you to look at my son,' For he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Janet, for reading. Um, Do keep your Bibles open there at Luke chapter 9. It'll be helpful for you to follow along with me as we work through this passage and look at it together. Um, Welcome, especially if you're visiting with us. It's lovely to have you here if you are visiting. My name's Justin. I'm the Minister for Students here. So especially welcome if you're a student. Um, Do come and say hello to me after the service. It'll be really nice to meet you. 
Let's come to God's word in prayer. Um, I know Ben prayed for us uh, earlier, and I'm sure the Lord heard his prayers. Um, But let's come to the Lord now and quiet in our hearts. In Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, David, the king of Israel, wrote, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Father, thank you that we can come to you because in Christ Jesus, your son, you have come to save us. Help us, Father, by your Holy Spirit to see the glory of your Son and to be in awe of him. And so look to him in repentance and faith. Please help us in our weakness to hear your word. And please help me in my weakness to speak your word clearly and faithfully. And we ask this in the precious name of your Son, Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Well, many of you may know that my family and I, we recently moved here from South Africa, from Johannesburg, and we've really enjoyed living here in the peaks. Um, Not long ago, I think about a week ago, we went to Monzel Head, and it was a real treat to just walk around and and see the beauty of the countryside. The peaks, uh, however beautiful they are, though, they are not mountains. Uh, You see, in South Africa, we know a thing or two about mountains. We go up mountains to get a view, to have our perspective changed. And when we're at the top of a mountain, we feel as though we see something of the glory and greatness of the Lord, the Creator. Well, thankfully this morning, we don't have to trek up a mountain to see God's glory because we're coming to His Word about His Son, And it's my prayer this morning that as we come to his herd, we will be in awe of Jesus and we will see that in him and through him, the Lord is accomplishing a great salvation. And so we will put our faith in him and live for him. We're going to look at this passage under two headings this morning. Firstly, see the glory of Jesus, the Son of God, verse 28 to 36. And then secondly, be amazed... He graciously comes to save us. Verse uh, 37 to the end. Well, let's look at our first point. Verse 28 to 36. See the glory of Jesus, the Son of God. In verse 28, we're reminded that just eight days earlier, Jesus had asked his disciples who they thought he was. This question of who is Jesus is a question that Luke has been dealing with since the beginning of chapter 8. And we all have an answer to that question, don't we? It's an important question. And in fact, in chapter 9, verse 26, Jesus has shown us that how we answer that question has implications for whether we will be in his kingdom now or in the future or not. You might find it hard to hear that. But can I ask you that as we work through this passage together, as we follow along together, it's my hope that you will see that there is every reason to believe who Jesus claims to be. We saw last week in verse 22 that Jesus claims he is the Son of Man. 
He's a figure mentioned in Daniel chapter 7, whom God has appointed to rule over his kingdom forever. And in light of this claim, Jesus then told us in verse 23 that if we want to be in his kingdom, we must follow him. And it's a really hard call because it means life un- we must live our lives under his rule and in obedience to him. So if you're a Christian, let me ask you, how did this week go? As we heard that call from Jesus last week, that we must follow him, how did you do? How was it living for King Jesus? As you reflect on your week, how do you make sense of those words that you must follow him? We must deny ourselves. We must take up our cross. How did you do in being patient or showing kindness to someone you don't find easy? Husbands, how did you do in denying yourself for your wife? How well do you think you did in listening to your parents? Or perhaps you sit here and you feel the weight of your own inability to follow Jesus. What's the solution then? Well, come. Let's follow Jesus and the disciples up the mountain. Because at both the top and the bottom of this mountain here, he reveals both his glory and his grace. At the top of this mountain, the disciples are given a glorious sight of Jesus. We're told in verse 32 that they saw his glory. And it was his glory they saw because in verse 29 we read that light as bright and as brilliant as lightning was beaming from him. The plateau of South Africa um, is known as the High Felt, the areas around Johannesburg where um, we move from. And the High Felt is known for its lightning storms and its thunderstorms. If you drive out into the rural areas at night, the, the landscape is just cloaked in darkness. And very suddenly, these lightning storms can come on. And all of a sudden, a peal of lightning can rip through the sky. And in a second, it lights up the whole landscape. It is amazing. It is glorious. Lightning in nature is wonderful. But here on this mountain, Jesus revealed his glory to them, to his disciples. And it looks like a flash of lightning. In these verses, we are seeing Jesus in his post-resurrection glory as the eternal king of God's kingdom, the son of man. See, at his resurrection in Luke chapter 24, verse 4, we read that there are two angels who met with the woman who came to the tomb to look for Jesus' body. And we're told that at the tomb, they gleamed like lightning. It's a confirmation for us that What we see of Jesus here on the mountain is a reflection of his resurrected glory, that he is the king of God's kingdom, and he will rule his kingdom forever. And this is good news, because quite obviously we don't live forever. We die. 
But Luke has told us earlier in the gospel that Jesus has come to give light to those who are in darkness and in the shadow of death. And we've seen throughout Luke chapter 8 that Jesus has power over death. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus has power over death. But it also matters that he has power over sin, which causes death. Well, the disciples are given not just a glorious sight of Jesus, but they also hear a glorious word about him. In verse 31, we read that Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And in verse 35, we also read that from out of the cloud, the voice of God the Father says about Jesus, this is my son whom I've chosen, listen to him. Jesus' glory is not just that he is the eternal son of God, the king who will rule over God's kingdom. His glory is that he is the king who would die on the cross to rescue God's people. The departure that is mentioned in verse 31 is talking about his death in Jerusalem, which Jesus has already spoken of in verse 22 of last week's passage. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And God the Father's statement about Jesus also shows that it's through the death of this king that he would establish his kingdom and save his people. And when the Father says that Jesus is my son, he's speaking of Jesus in kingly terms. He's God's son, as Adam was the son of God in Luke chapter 2. But he also says of Jesus that he is my chosen one, literally my chosen and it's a reference to Isaiah 42. In Isaiah 42 verse 1, God speaks about his chosen servant who will be enabled by his spirit to establish his kingdom. And the servant does this by dying on the cross. Oh, sorry, dying um, and taking the punishment for the sins of God's people so they can have peace with him. And it is through, therefore, Jesus' death on the cross that he is able to give, as it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 77, knowledge of the salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus has power over death, but he also died so that we can come to him and confess our sins to him and find forgiveness in him. I wonder if someone's ever mistaken your identity. Um, Someone once mistook my identity for Prince William. <laughs> I don't see why, to be honest. Um, and even if I, you know, if, even if you could tell me, I, I can tell you certainly that I did not feel like I was exuding um, the glory of the British monarchy this morning. Um, but I have heard that some of the youth, they've actually dubbed me the kin king of the bald people. <laughs> Mistaking who I am is, well, it's a bit silly, isn't it? 
But there's a lot more at stake if we misunderstand who Jesus is. We see that he is the king of God's kingdom who dies in our place. He's God's chosen one. And his departure, his death, means that we can have the forgiveness of our sins. But more than that, his death on the cross shows us, as God's king, that he is God himself. He is God. We see that Jesus is equally God with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and that in him it is the Lord God who comes to rescue his people as he did at the Exodus. You see the, ver- the word for verse th- um, in verse 31 there, for departure, is literally Exodus. As the king who would die on the cross in Jerusalem, Jesus would fulfill his exodus. And this is also why Jesus speaks with Moses and Elijah, the two great prophets of the Old Testament. They're showing that Jesus' death is in fulfillment of the Old Testament, and through it, God would bring about a rescue, like he rescued his people in the exodus. And this whole mountaintop scene is to remind us of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, when the Lord met with his people and he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. On Mount Sinai, the Lord called his people to obey him. And here in Luke, notice who God the Father is calling us to obey and listen to his son. His son, who is the Lord of the Exodus. And maybe you're not a Christian. And as you listen to these things, perhaps you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Or that it's a lot to take in. I'm really glad, glad that you're here. Are we seeing this morning that Jesus is a king who can forgive our sin? He has power over death. He has power over our sins. And he is God himself. And if all of this is true, then understanding Jesus' identity will have huge implications for you. But you can't ignore it. And you can't brush what Jesus says under the carpet. We can't say that he was just an important man or some important teacher because of what he revealed and claimed about himself. Maybe you're here and you do have a lot of questions. That's okay. I hope that you keep coming, especially as we go towards Easter, and we will hear more about Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. But for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, is this how we see Jesus? There's not enough that we see him as our king, although he is. It's not enough that we see him as the one who dies on the cross for our sin, although he did. He is God himself. And we're meant to be in awe of him. He is the creator, our creator, who has come to rescue us as he goes to Jerusalem to die on the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins. As Christians, we 
find it hard, don't we, to humbly follow Jesus? I know I do. It's hard to hand over the rule of your life to Him. Maybe it's money, or in the area of relationships, or our view of sexuality. Well, in this passage that we saw last week, Jesus called us to deny ourselves, to be sacrificial on a daily basis. It is a call to follow Him in every area of our lives. And if we're really honest, we know that we struggle. It's not easy. But it would be impossible, and it is impossible, to do this if we don't understand that Jesus is the creator, the mighty rescuing God of the Exodus who humbly serves us and saves us. See, instead of trying harder this week to reflect on who Jesus is, his glory and his ability to deal with our sin and save us from death, And this is also to lead us to have confidence in the salvation he offers. In the face of illness and death, in the face of our persistent sin, he will save us. But let's have a look at our second point. Be amazed. He does graciously come to save us. In these verses, we follow Jesus down the mountain. And it's here at the bottom of the mountain that we're to really be amazed by Jesus because of his steadfast love and his grace towards us. In verse 38 to 40, Jesus is met with this desperate situation. A man cries out to him, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he's my only child. A spirit seizes him and then suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. It's a situation that Jesus has encountered many times in the gospel so far. People who are living in the shadow of death. And here, a boy, through external evil forces, is being destroyed. And this man's family is being destroyed. And his future financial security is being destroyed. We're told that the man initially went to the disciples to find help, but they were unable to save him. And it's surprising because in in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus said that they would have authority over all demons to cast them out. But this desperate situation that we find here of the Father and the Son is to show us that the Father and the disciples have a disbelieving disposition. What's really serious is their disbelieving disposition. The disciples' failure to serve Jesus' kingdom agenda in driving out this this demon is because they did not see and believe that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom and who would save them from sin and death. They've not seen who he is. And the Father has not understood the kind of rescue that he brings. Jesus' response in verse 41 shows us. He says, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? 
And the word for perverse here, it means to distort or misinterpret. They had a distorted view of Jesus, a misunderstanding of who he was. The disciples did not see or believe that he was the divine son of God and that in him the Lord was saving his people. On the, on the mountain, Peter, he represents the disciples' collective decision and inability to see, or sorry, to not see and not believe who Jesus is. But despite seeing Jesus' glory, hearing the word about his coming death, their confession that he's the Messiah, the disciples still only think of Jesus as a great teacher or prophet. In verse 33, Peter refers to Jesus as master. Master. It's like a thunderclap that is meant to knock us off our chairs because in the previous chapter, chapter 8, a demoniac said to Jesus, you are the Holy One of God. And Peter, being on the mountain with James and John, they should have seen Jesus' glory and said, you are my Lord and my God. But he calls him Master. And similarly, the, fa the father in verse 38, he calls Jesus teacher. And these words, master and teacher, are synonymous. They're interchangeable. The father had misunderstood the nature of Jesus' kingdom. Peter and the disciples misunderstood who he is. You see, the father was looking for a rescue that, meted, or that met his immediate concerns and his felt needs in this life. Not that it's wrong to bring, these, or bring our concerns to Jesus. Not that it's wrong to bring our felt needs to Jesus. But there is little sense here that this man had faith in Jesus, in this eternal salvation that he was bringing. See, verses 37 to 43 are meant to remind us of Mount Sinai. Jesus' response to the disciples, it echoes the Lord's response to his, the people of Israel and their persistent unbelief in him. The disciples and the crowds have seen more than enough to know who Jesus is, but they still don't see. And in Exodus 33 verse 5, the Lord said of Israel, to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off all your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. And the Lord said this to Israel when Moses came down the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he found that the Israelites had made and worshipped an idol. And they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. You see, at the heart of their idolatry, they did not understand or believe who the Lord had revealed himself to be and the rescue that he was accomplishing for them. They did not understand that he rescued them through a sacrificial lamb from their enemies to be his people, to know him and to serve him. But how did the Lord respond? to Israel's idolatry in Exodus? That's an important question. Well, he shows Moses his glory. He speaks a gracious word 
and he reveals who he is and what he is like, and he affirms his commitment to his people. In Exodus 34, verse 5 to 7, we read, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Jesus, in response to his father, and this father we see here, he heals the son. So even though he is unbelieving, even though he fails to see his glory, Jesus bears with us in his steadfast love and grace, not begrudgingly, not begrudgingly, but because he is the Lord who is full of mercy and compassion. See, friends, in the Exodus, it's Moses who comes down the mountain, the prophet of the Lord. And he calls us with, he comes with the law, and he calls us to obey the, the Lord. And immediately, there is no hope for Israel because Moses smashes the law on the ground and the covenant is broken in, in view of Israel's sin, in view of their disbelief, in view of their misunderstandings of who God is. But the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of Jesus, is that in him, the Lord himself comes down to us in his grace to save us. And so we go back to that question that I asked at the start. How did this week go for you as you sought to follow Jesus? Perhaps you're feeling broken because you know that you fail. And you failed to love him and to love others. This passage, it tells us that we are unable to. We are unable to because we fail to see who Jesus is. We, we fail to see the nature of his salvation. But seeing that we fail and how undeserving we are, doesn't it show us even more the glory and grace of God? Doesn't it show us even more how much we need him? Despite how undeserving we are, he still shows patience and steadfast love to us. And in his steadfast love, he will come to bear with us until we enter his kingdom when he returns again. You might be here and you're not, you don't feel the burden of your inability to follow Jesus. It's possible, as Christians, there are times when we feel like we're doing well, don't we? And after seeing here in this passage a great vision of Jesus, and last week this great call to follow Jesus, we can feel at times like we can do anything for him. And seeing 
the disciples and this father's response to him feels like a bit of an anticlimax. A Christian writer reflecting on the works of John Newton wrote, and I quote, As God calls us to obedience, he remembers that we are only dust. But we can all be spiritual heroes and do great things for God. And as a result, we are devastated when reality crashes. The reality of the Christian life is that we do fail, and we will fail. We forget what our God is like and the nature of His salvation, and we try to serve and do great things for Him out of our own strength. But if we continue not seeing His grace to us and our need of His grace, we will crash. But He is still gracious. We can look to Him. And in looking to Him, we can find strength to follow Him. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Only Jesus. So let's Praise God and be grateful that He comes to us and He meets us at the bottom of the mountain in our helplessness and in His grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son, that in Him You come to us to show us grace. Please will you help us this week to look to your son, to be in awe of him, and to find comfort in his mercy. And we pray this in his name. Amen.